So this morning we will be in Romans chapter 6. We'll be looking at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. You can find our passage on page 942 in the Pew Bible. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, Romans 6, uh, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to his people. So here we are on Resurrection Sunday, and, uh, and while we uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, uh, as I like to remind us every Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every Sunday when we worship. We actually don't have an official church calendar that says you have to celebrate Easter, you have to celebrate Christmas. We optionally choose uh, to do so, and, and, so we do, and so we are celebrating this, uh, that the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. But why does that matter? Why should we care about a Jewish man who was crucified a couple thousand years ago in the Middle East and three days later was raised from the dead? I mean, that's amazing. Absolutely. Very cool. And, 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 but, but why? What, what, what significance does it have for us? Now, all of us here may even... Uh, just assume. Let's just assume everyone here acknowledges uh, the fact that uh, that Christ was raised from the dead. Can we explain how the resurrection of Christ then impacts the whole of our life, or even our life on a day-to-day -day basis, or does it just affect us on, you know, one Sunday out of the year? What's, how do we get beyond just the, this basic miracle? What, what import does the resurrection of Christ have for the Christian? Even in the church, we can get used to affirming the resurrection of Jesus without thinking through or even understanding the implications or the practical realities of the resurrection. And so we're jumping into Romans today. We've been preaching through the Gospel of Luke, but we're jumping into Romans today. And to give us a sense of where we're at, uh, Paul, in the book of Romans, is kind of giving a little mini systematic theology. And so he spends the first two and a half chapters uh, laying out the, God's case against humanity. 
that that the, that wrath the wrath of God is due to all humanity extensively all who are who are born of Adam and that's everybody um, except Jesus he's the only one okay and then and also intensively the wrath of God is uh, is is severe um, uh, because because sin is severe wickedness is severe and so his just wrath is due to humanity because of our sin and rebellion primarily against God but also against uh, the, the, the crimes the cosmic crimes and sins that we commit against one another as human beings and so he lays out that case and then around the middle of chapter three all the way through uh, the end of chapter five uh, he says he's you know pr previously he's been he's talking about the wrath of God that's being revealed in the world but then all of a sudden he starts talking about the righteousness of God the mercy of God that is now being revealed in Jesus Christ that simply by faith in Jesus we can be justified, that we can be forgiven of our sins, pardoned of our crimes, and even more reconciled to God, to have a positive, wonderful relationship with the Lord. And, to, and, and so the, and the grace of this gospel that he describes is so full and so free and so wonderful that he anticipates an objection in verse 1. Basically, and it is this, that if God's grace covers all our sin and we don't have to do anything to earn it, well, won't that just encourage people to sin? I mean, if grace covers sin, well, then won't, won't they just say, well, then let's sin because then we get more grace. And certainly a very perverse way to think about the gospel, but I'll tell you, I know people who have either, uh, either without stating it or sometimes saying it out loud, <laughs> live that way and they get very angry if you call them on it say, how dare you question me all right but they say oh i'm a christian but i but i don't live like a christian at all and so it's kind of like okay well what's going on here and so and so it says it, you know and so and his response is well you know may it never be like it that it, it, it can't be and so you know, should won't, won't Christians, won't people who profess to follow Jesus, just sin more because they get more grace? And Paul says, no, absolutely not. But this isn't just like some, uh, you know, Christian wish casting. Like, oh, I hope that's not the case. Paul is actually saying that it is effect, effectively impossible for a true Christian to live with that kind of attitude towards sin. Uh, and, and why? Now, you, you might expect him to say because sin's really bad and God hates sin, but he doesn't do that. What does he say? He says two things. He says because as Christians, we are united to Christ, and with him, we are united to his death and his resurrection. And secondly, that the death and resurrection of Christ changes us. It has an effect upon us. And we'll talk about each of those this morning. And so first, uh, the, first, as Christians, as Christians, we are united to Christ. You see this in verses 1 through 5. And here we see the fact of, we observe, in, uh, we observe the fact of Christ's death and resurrection. Paul assumes the reality of both Jesus' death and his resurrection. Without the resurrection, he says in, in, in 1 Corinthians, we've got nothing. We're just wasting our time. Let's all just go home. The resurrection isn't true. Uh, but there are those today who will say that Jesus, 
we're not even really sure if Jesus existed or, you know, or even if he did, he was just a man. And so his death doesn't really have any meaning for us, uh, much less any kind of like resurrection talk. But we, act, but we know that because of the historical record in the scriptures, but also even combining that with uh, extra biblical archaeological evidence, uh, that Jesus did in fact exist, just for the record, only kooks actually uh, argue that Jesus didn't exist. Uh, um, and, but they're out there, so I mean, they're all, and you can find anybody on the internet. So, and, and, but the only, the only reasonable assessment of the data that we, that we have is of what happened three days after Christ was crucified was that he was raised from the dead, like the scriptures say. Uh, and so, and, and I want to be very clear this morning that we don't believe, as some have contended in church history past, uh, that uh, we don't believe in simply a spiritual resurrection of Jesus. We don't believe in just a symbolic resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus, the Messiah, uh, he, that he was killed by the Jews and the Romans, was buried in a tomb, that he was placed in a tomb, not in the ground, but in a tomb, and, to, and that three days later, he was raised from the dead, literally, bodily, and miraculously. And, to, and, and I'm always, I've preached about the evidence of this and talked about the New Testament evidence in, in, in other sermons before, and I'm happy to sit down with anybody and talk about it. If you're having doubts or questions or just exploring this, happy to sit down and talk with you about it. But, um, but I highlight this because we live in a time where religion is so often treated as simply a matter of personal opinion and experience. And more and more, people are using their personal experience as the standard by which to judge whether something is true or not. And they'll use their feelings as the thing, well, I don't feel like that's true. Or in my experience, I don't think that's true. And, it's, and so, look, it, what, what, whether I feel, what, no matter what my feelings are about it, what I'm saying is, is that Christ was raised from the dead. Whether you or I believe it or not, how we feel about it doesn't change it. It's a, and, and it highlights that Christianity is it, it's one of the, what well, you could say, one of the core mistakes that Christians made was rooting the, their most core belief in a historical event. It'd be much easier if we rooted the, the, our most crucial claims in non-historical events. Because then we could just kind of be really kind of willy-nilly and kind of very flexible. We could get around a lot of things. But we say, no, no, no. There was a guy named Jesus. He lived, he lived, in, he lived about 2,000 years ago. And that he was eventually killed and crucified and raised from the dead bodily. And then he ascended into heaven bodily. We make historical claims because the, our Christian faith is a historical religion. If someone can disprove the resurrection, then our faith is done. And so, but that also highlights to the reality and the truthfulness of it and why we ought to take it seriously. Because, what, because to understand what Paul is saying here, uh, that we have to understand that he is taking the bodily resurrection and the death and resurrection of Christ as an established fact. And according to Paul, we must reckon not only with the fact of the death and, re death and resurrection of Christ, but also the effects of Christ's death and resurrection. And so Jesus, uh, Jesus is, uh, Paul said he, he, he died, and that, but we have been baptized into Christ 
and thus baptized into Christ's death. We were even, he says, buried with Christ into death. And, and the purpose, he says, of being baptized into the death of Christ, and as, as deep as that phrase would go, and we don't have time to get into it today, uh, but, uh, but basically, he says, the purpose of that is that we would walk in the newness of life according to Jesus' resurrection. Now, we have to recognize there's something odd going on here with respect to Jesus. Because beyond, you know, like sharing a, you know, a kind of a general humanity with one another, uh, we're not naturally united to each other in each other's experiences. It, you know, it, so if I, if I go to Walmart, it's not going to affect you, right? But, you know, you, you wouldn't be able to say, well, Eric's trip to Walmart is my trip to Walmart. Okay, one, that'd be weird. Okay, don't talk like that. But, uh, but also, it's just an odd thing to even think. You don't receive a sign upon your body, uh, uh, you know, with regard to my trip to Walmart, all right? But, uh, but Jesus dying and rising from the dead, we're told, 2,000 years ago, does affect you who profess to trust in him. That is something odd. There is something different going on with Jesus than what, what goes on with you and I. All of this stems from the reality of our union with Jesus, this union with Christ, this, uh, this very deep and rich doctrine. Basically, the whole uh, letter of Ephesians is about union with Christ. And so this, it basically, it's this connection that we have with Jesus, uh, this connection that we have through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and, to, and that union, that connection is so uh, powerful, it's, it's, it's so um, just vivid with life uh, that, uh, that those who trust in him have the death and resurrection of Jesus applied to them. As Paul says in verse 5, if we have been united to him with his, in his death, then certainly we will have a resurrection like his. We are united to him in his resurrection life. You know, a moment ago, I gave the very silly, silly illustration about going to Walmart. I got six kids. I go to Walmart all the time, okay, all the time. But, uh, but it, yes, me going to Walmart won't affect you unless I go to Walmart for you. If I go to Walmart to buy your groceries and I come and bring them and drop them off to you, well, then you could say, Eric's, metaphorically, Eric's, trip to Walmart was my trip to Walmart. Why? Because he went for me and got my groceries, right? I'm not buying your groceries. Don't call me. All right. So, Jesus didn't die for himself. He didn't die for any sin that he had committed. His death was for you and for me. It was for our sin. It was for the penalty that our sin deserved. And likewise, the gospel says, Paul says, Jesus' resurrection was for you and for me. It was so we could have eternal life in the kingdom of God because we can't get there by our, 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 our wholehearted obedience. We can't get there by our personal righteousness, by the improvement in our character. We can't do it. We can't do it by giving lots to the church or sacrificing lots of time for, for ministries in the church. We, it, it, there's no way to merit or earn it. It only comes by resurrection life. 
in Christ that is given to us for free, but cost Jesus everything. And the way those benefits come to us, the channel through which those benefits uh, of come to us, that union with Christ, that union with Christ's death and his resurrection, the way that comes to us is through faith. That is the means by which we get it. And so Paul goes on from there to highlight uh, not only the, the reality and reckoning with the death and resurrection of Christ and our union with Christ and that how those things apply to us, but how the death and resurrection of Christ changes us in verses 6 through 11. And Paul essentially summarizes this by, by giving us two things we know. In view of Christ's death and resurrection and our union with him, he says there's two things that we know for a fact. Now, you might read those two things and go, I did not know those two things. But that's okay. All right, that's why Paul's writing, because there's a bunch of Christians in Rome who don't know those two things either. And so he says we know two things. And the first one is that we know our old self is crucified. Older translations say the old man is crucified in verses 6 through 8. It is talking about the old nature, the old way of, uh, of our will, the old way of our desires prior to coming to faith in Christ. That, that that is under the power. We are born, because of Adam and his fall, we are born as human beings under, uh, under the power of the corruption of sin. What he calls, the, he says, the body of sin. That is the body that belongs to sin. And to, it all of that was crucified with Jesus on the cross. Jesus, he says, did that so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, doing what it wants and what it desires. And we could spend a while talking about the frustrations, sorrows, anguish over our failures, our faults, and our sins, that, and the evils that, ha that we have brought upon ourselves and upon others. We could talk about how awful it is to be trapped doing uh, the things that we hate by almost a compulsion to the point where we cry out like Paul does in Romans 7 in the next chapter, who will save me from this body of death? Have you ever been stopped short and horrified by the evil thoughts or actions that come from you? Your thought, how could I be a person who thinks such things or says such things or does such things? Paul says here that Jesus died so that we would not be ruled by those things. Does it mean that the presence of sin or temptation are no longer felt, that we don't wrestle with these things, with sin, with temptation? Does it mean that? But it does mean that there is a new king in town. That the old man is gone and that we are a new creation in Christ. Why? Because Jesus didn't just die to, take, to only take the penalty for our sin. He died to take the power, the dominion, the rule that sin had over us. And to put it to an end. He died to set us free. And as Paul says... If his death does that, just imagine what his resurrection does for us. 
Because that brings us to the second thing we know. The first thing we know is that the old man was crucified. And that means that in Christ, for those who trust in Christ, that sin no longer has dominion, no longer has reign. It no longer is sitting on the throne of our hearts. That Christ is now sitting there. God is sitting there. He is the ruler of our hearts, even as we fight against the remaining corruption, even as we fight against temptation and often fail, even daily. I mean, I mean, we struggle with sin so often that in our worship service, we incorporate a corporate confession of sin. I should tell you about what a bunch of sinners we are, right? We even put it into our regular weekly worship that we need to confess our sin together. Why? Because we wrestle with it. But that brings us to the second thing we know, though, which is we know that Christ has conquered death. We know that the old man was crucified, but we also know that Christ has conquered death in verses 9 through 11. Christ, since he has been raised from the dead, will never die again. Now, we have, to, we, have to, we have to actually establish that a little bit because Lazarus was raised from the dead and he did die again. There were a couple of people that were brought back to life in the New Testament. There's a few in the Old Testament. And guess what? They all died. All right? So they died again. Why, well, so why do we say Jesus hasn't? Because as the Messiah, as the one who never sinned, as the one who was, who was resurrected by the Father in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, he has conquered death. He has undone the damage that Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3. He has crushed the head of the serpent. And, and it, so it's not like Jesus went through death and he was like, ugh, I didn't like that. I don't want to go through that again. All right, and I'm not, so I'm not going to do it again. He said, he, he, it means that death has no power over him. Now you're like, well, how did death have power over Jesus? Well, because it's part of what we call Christ's humiliation. That as, this, as the eternal son, he took on flesh. Right? Uh, the son was not a created being. He, was, he has always been the father, son, Holy Spirit. But the eternal son took to himself a human nature. He took to himself flesh and blood and he came to the earth and in doing so he willingly put himself under the curse of humanity even becoming a curse for us he put himself under the power of death for a time in the tomb he did it though paul says once he did it once for all time and and because now he possesses resurrection life in his flesh and he lives now to god the father now, we might expect Paul at this point to say, so therefore, you know, don't fear death because eternal life is ours through his resurrection. And he could say that. That would be true. But that is not the point he wants to make. The point he wants to make is about how Christians deal with sin in their lives. That in, in light of the reality that we have in Jesus, that he died to the dominion of sin and even to death itself, Paul now makes his application. And his application is not something we're supposed to do. It's something we're supposed to think. He says in verse 11, not, and, and, and what he says is not optional. He says we must, as Christians, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. That's the application of the death and resurrection of Christ to us and to the believer's life in the moment, particularly against the fight and our attitude towards sin. 
This is the answer that Paul is giving to verse 1 in the question there. Why don't believers take sin lightly and just sin all the more because grace uh, abounds all the more? Because as Christians, we are united to Christ, and in him we have died to sin and been made alive to God. We have been freed from sin's power and domination. And yeah, it's, it, while we, we still sin, and so Paul is not also, I, he's not also putting out some weird perfectionism. He's not saying real Christians don't sin or real Christians don't struggle with sin. In fact, what he says is that wherever Christians sin, grace abounds. But that doesn't mean that Christians take a lax attitude towards sin. We are reminded in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our faults, in the midst of the most humiliating sins as they come to light, that we have forgiveness, that we have mercy, and our hope is renewed because we are reminded that sin is not our master. Even if we're down in the dirt, we're reminded that sin is not our master, Christ is, and he lifts us back up with his grace, and sets us back on our feet and carries us along the way. And so this brings us to a question that we have to ask ourselves this morning in light of what Paul says here, which is what does our attitude towards sin reveal about us? And even more narrowly, what does our attitude about sin reveal about our understanding of the death and resurrection of Jesus? Because what we're talking about here is not merely the reality of the gospel, the, the, the his, like the historical historicity of the gospel, the ministry of Christ, the definition of salvation. We're not talking about those things this morning. It's all part and parcel of what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. Paul is describing here what many theologians refer to as the experience of salvation. He, was, he gave us in chapters 3 through 5 the doctrine of salvation, justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And then here in, in, in chapter 6, he begins to talk to us about the experience of salvation. What is it like to be a Christian? How do we wrestle with sin? And Paul brings it back to the death and resurrection of Christ. And so for everyone here today that would profess to follow Jesus, what is your attitude towards sin? Because that reveals a lot about what we think about Jesus and the, and, and the death and resurrection of Christ. Because there are some who say, you know, that it, say, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just an angry person by nature. It's just the way God made me, you know. Just, just fly off the handle, you know. And, you know, that's just how I am. What are you going to do? All right? Then I, I, and there's this, and I've had somebody tell me this. I've had more than one person tell me this. You know, God just, God, he just, he just made me lustful, and I don't know why. I was like, when you get to the point where you're blaming God for your sins, you just, it's not a good place to be, right? Some will say, well, you know, I just, I just got an addictive personality. Oh, yeah, it's so funny, right? I just, I just can't help myself. Some will say that their better qualities and actions balance out their sinful ones and their harmful ones. But Paul presses us here. He doesn't let us get away with those things. He's not pointing us to a false perfectionism saying, be perfect and be good. But he is saying that Christians don't take a lax view of sin, even while they fall into it, even while they sin at times. 
Why? Because as Christians, we died to sin in Christ. And even more, we were raised in his resurrection to walk in the newness of life. This is not what we were made to do. This is not who we were made to be and who we were remade to be. Why in the world, Paul would say, would we ever say that grace motivates us to sin or excuses us to sin? Rather, we fight against sin in our lives with the reality of the gospel. Before, we had no other choice to sin because that's all we wanted. Not saying we were as bad as we possibly could be, but we just didn't care. But now... We care because God has been at work in our hearts. Now we're concerned to please him. Now we're concerned to do what is right. Not just because people see us, but because we love God. By our union with Jesus, we have died to sin and been made alive. Not to do just anything, but to serve God. And there is the key. Christians don't sin more because of grace. Christians serve God because of grace. So, Christian, how do you consider yourself in light of Christ's death and resurrection? If you belong to Christ, then it is as if you had died with him and were buried with him, thus breaking the power of sin and death over you. And you were raised with him to live to God, to live your life unto the Lord. And so if you struggle with sin today and as a Christian, well, then be encouraged. Don't be beaten down. Christians know that sin is wrong and that we shouldn't do it. But consider what Paul says here, that we should fight against temptation and break the habits of sin in our lives, not by beating ourselves with whips. By just, you know, screaming at ourselves in the mirror about how awful we are. But by embracing the reality that we have died to sin in Christ. That it doesn't rule over us anymore. Even though we just gave into it five minutes ago. It is not our master. Christ is. And that we have been raised with Christ. To walk into in obedience and newness of life with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that our hope is not in ourselves. Because if the Christian hope was in being good, moral people and looking down on others and judging others, we would, we would, have, we would just be deluded fools. And Lord, we pray that as you may reveal to us defections in our character, defects of how we view sin and how we've given too much free license to sin and not taken the resurrection of Christ and his death seriously enough. We haven't thought through the implications of it. Father, we pray that you would, that you would comfort us with your mercy as we tremble before you. That you would remind us of your sufficient love in the gospel of Jesus. 
that you are not here, that you did not send Jesus to crush us. You did not reveal to us the, the truths of the gospel to destroy us, but to redeem us, to restore us, to bless us as your beloved children. And so, Father, even as we may grieve over our sin in the moment, and, we, and as we realize how evil our sins are, may you always set our eyes upon your blessed Son, that we may always remember how, how beloved we are, how loved and cherished and redeemed and blessed we are, and that even as we struggle now, the struggle is not forever. For there is a time coming when you will remove all corruption from us as you bring us into your glorious kingdom. Father, we pray that you would renew our hope, strengthen our joy in the gospel of grace, and that we would indeed celebrate the resurrection of Jesus today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.